Welcome to another episode of Scotch Hour. This is episode 101. I am Noah. And I am Jesse. All right. Well, this evening, um, uh, I think we have a great lineup here. But before we get into that, please like, share, and subscribe if you do enjoy our com. Uh, if you do enjoy our content, um, also please leave any comments that you have for us. Uh, we would love to uh, interact with you or even uh, improve our podcast if you have anything that you think would be worthwhile for us. Uh, this evening we will uh, try the Glen uh, Scotia double cask, and I probably screwed the name there. I nailed it. Uh, Nailed it! <laughs> uh, from there, we got our get-togethers and shout-outs, um, and then our restaurant review of Fuzzy's Taco Shop in Aurora off of uh, Arapahoe and Parker Road. Yeah, you know you know when you want to be able to scream Nailed It? When you see that perfect picture of Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> and then our topic this evening is Moonfall, uh, tying it into possibly the hollow moon or starship moon theory. And uh, just to let you guys know, uh, going forward, uh, we do have a uh, scoring um, uh, thing for our scotches now, a scoring scale. So that's going to be $5 for our $5. <laughs> five points for the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, $5 sounds about right. Five points for the packaging, five points for the uh, color, 30 points for the aroma, 30 points for the palette, and 30 points for the finish. Uh, a perfect score in all of those uh, five areas would give us a 100. So uh, last week was the first time we implemented that, and we will be going forward with that. And um, and if there's anything that we need to notate uh, for each of our own different scales on that, uh, we'll notate that when we do our scoring. Scotch review. All right. Well, you mentioned, man, what a feat. 101. Episode 101. That is outstanding. We are literally three episodes shy of two years. We're talking like modern years, not uh, Aztec years or anything else. Although, ironically, they nailed it better than modern science, so they had it just right as well. But here, excited for reviewing the Hollow Moon Theory and as it relates to Moonfall and... Without further ado, the Glen Scotia double cask. Now, with this uh, wonderful single malt, it is aged or matured first in first fill bourbon casks and then finished for 12 months in Pedro de la Rosa sherry casks. And, you know, those uh, PX casks, they are considered some of the best. And I am excited for this scotch. It was back in episode 78 where we reviewed the Glen Scotia 15-year, did a movie review of Weird Science. But Weird Science. That's right. Great. It was a great episode, a great time. But 78... 33 episodes ago. Who doesn't love uh, 
<laughs> what was her name again? I forgot. I was about to say Kelly LeBrock. That's it. That's that's weird science. Kelly LeBrock <laughs> nailed it. But um, with the Glen Scotia, it is a single malt Scotch, uh, a range of scotches, the distillery in Campbellton, and Campbellton is a small town off the. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this. Uh, Kin Tyler. Peninsula off the western coast of Scotland. So with that, though, um, this one is reputed to be rich and spicy. Looking forward to that. Uh, their water source is the Cross Hill Loch. And between their one wash and one rinse stills, they have a production capacity of 600,000 liters. Uh, founded in 1832, one of only three distilleries left on this small area, the, the Campbellton area, um, the smallest whiskey region in Scotland. So one of three distilleries left, and at its peak in the early 1800s, 21 were on this teeny little area. You know, I think they also uh, mentioned, like, uh, and you probably talked about this, and I was messing around with the, with the mics <laughs> and stuff, but... Um, but they, it seems like they're really into like the uh, heritage of their distillery, talking about like uh, how that how a lot of it kind of dates back to its original time frame of uh, when they uh, established it in the eighteen thirty two thirties. Okay, eighteen thirty two. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting because like even their in their tours, they talk about like the historical sense of their distillery, and it's what what's really weird here about their their tours is they have it separated from their tastings. Um, so they have a, a classic, uh, they have what's called the distillery tour, uh, which is twelve dollars and it's a one hour long tour. They have the Dunnage Warehouse Tour, which is $66. It's a two-hour tour for that. And then they have the Manager Tour. Uh, the Manager Tour is uh, 2.5 hours, and it's $120. And you get an in-depth uh, private tour of the distillery. Clearly worth it. Clearly worth it. <laughs> uh, and then their tastings. They have a core tasting. is approximately 45 minutes to an hour for $30. You get four core whiskeys or four core drams to taste. Uh, then they have a limited one where you get four cask drams uh, for $36. So basically the four cores is $30. To get the cask, uh, the four casks, it's $36. But then you get the one hour uh, for the warehouse. You can get five drams of uh, hand-selected cask um, take, excuse me, tastings. So I think if you're going to do it, you might as well do the manager tour with the warehouse. Uh, tastings because you get the most most bang for your buck there I, I would think absolutely so with this we mentioned 1832 uh, this distillery was founded at its peak in the 1800s 21 distilleries on this island there are only three remaining those are of course Glen Scotia Springbank and Glen Gyle. oh yeah did we also mention that Glen Scotia does not only make scotch but they make honey Honey. So, yeah, so they're really big into doing honey as well. What's up, honey? So in 2014, the distillery was bought or purchased by a Loch Lomond group, also a pretty fantastic scotch, um, who invested in it heavily to make it what it is today. It has since won many an award. 
All right. Uh, are we going to guess? What do you think about the packaging so far? I like the kind of clear, like, I like the clean uh, white of there with a kind of like the like, kind of like pale-ish. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like, pale is the correct, the correct, correct wording there for the kind of like, it uh, looks like the ocean and uh, ships and stuff or a bay maybe. I don't know that it's sexy, but it's definitely mature. And if you look closely, it's almost got that Monet feel with the painting. I do like it as well. I'm more curious because I have not uh, undressed this last to see the, the label on the bottle. Yeah, I haven't opened it up either. I mean, when we look at the 15 that we did uh, back when episode 76, you said something like that. Yes. That black, uh, the black bottle. I thought that was a nice, um, the nice yeah. Right behind your left shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> My other left. <laughs> it is a nice bottle, and they did yeah. a nice job there. Uh, again, I think the local loan group going in and investing, they invested apparently a lot of money to try to change this. As much as the U.S. government did in Ukraine? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Can you imagine how great scotch would be then? Not only would it have won the war. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't Everyone help myself. on this planet would be an alcoholic. All I, right. I do like the coloring. I, more so than the coloring, and this is probably a little hard to see, love. I don't know. Is if that etched on there? It feels like it could be etched. It could also be painted, but I don't know which would be easier. Um, painting would be less expensive. you got to take a, a look at that. It is gorgeous well, around the uh, bottom of I this do like bottle. That. I it, do like that a lot. I, I think it's probably painted on there just because the etching could be so pricey. But is this wonderful, intricate design on the bottle much like on the bottom of the box here with a uh, seagoing vessel in front of Hamilton. I uh, I actually I, I dig this. I dig Dude, this. it's pretty it's the pretty label, cool. <laughs> the label looks pretty classic uh, with this uh with this painting on there of the uh of that sea uh, bearing vessel there in front of the camp uh Campbellton. I, I like it. I so far I'm saying it's a five uh, presentation. It's a pretty good presentation. Maybe 4.5. No, man, you don't go cheap on something like this. Anything? No. Well, it's the box. I mean, the box. I mean, the box is a little. But the left. bottle itself is a solid. Yeah, it's total a, presentation. This does not leave me wanting. All right. Uh, the, the next big step here in the presentation, in my opinion, is does it is it a wooden top or is it plastic top? <laughs> Uh, I, the foil, well done. It's not some of that <laughs> cheap aluminum foil you find on some bottles or in some places. So let's see what we got here. <laughs> put the foil on, Coach. Put me in. I'm just going to say, you know, it's uh, like undressing a fine woman. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, is that plastic? I'm thinking it's plastic. But... Let's finish on uh, corking it to find out. So they have legitimate, real, non-corrugated or recycled uh, cork, which I love. Doesn't age as well as the other, uh, but I love it more. Nonetheless, it is a plastic topper. All right. America, the scotch don't run. (laughs) (laughs) 
didn't realize it was tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, cheers and on to our uh, warp speed. Warp speed. <laughs> Scotia with the uh, double cask here. Um, you know, first off, I really do love the uh, labeling on the bottle itself. I think the I think they did an awesome job on the bottling. Um, but to uh, to stop talking about the bottling itself, I guess I'll dive into my uh, <laughs> to my analysis here. I'll first start off with the coloring. I put here uh, light to medium amber. Um, I do like the uh, darker color of this uh, particular scotch as compared to last week. Um, so I do like the coloring there. And then when it comes to the uh, to the nose, uh, here what I have is that it opens up with ash, a uh, bit of brine, and peach. And then it, it evolves and moves into like uh, green apple pills uh, with uh, some vanilla, fudge, and hints of oak. And I think the ash kind of, or it, it might be ash or it might be char, that kind of just kind of lingers a little bit all the way through. And I really do like that about the nose here. So I, I think the nose has some nice complexity there, especially if you like some like uh, peach and green apple peels in there uh, with like hints of fudge. Now the palate for me, uh, when it first hits my palate, I do get like uh, a nice like fudge with like powdered sugar on there uh you do get this like sweetness in there and then near the back part of my palate uh when you start going into the finish i get like a little bit of spiciness and i and i put here like uh cinnamon but i could be wrong it might not even be cinnamon it might be clove because in my finish i put uh with my finish i put here you get like a nice sweetness uh, with a clove and it's a medium finish. It doesn't last super long um, And it's not super heavy. It's not like overly spicy, but you do get that nice spice there So I, I mean so here like I said my my palate I get fudge with powdered sugar and, and cinnamon uh, Hints of sherry, but the finish like the hints of cinnamon and sherry kind of start bleeding into my finish Which is where the, I get the sherry and the clove with a medium long finish um would I take this to a poker night? Hell yeah, <laughs> I would. Uh, would I take it to uh, a nice event? Actually, I have no problem taking this to a nicer event. I think the the packaging is uh, done decently well. I'm not ex super excited about the white box, but I think the uh, the bottle itself makes up for it. I really do dig the bottle. Um, now, when it comes to the point uh, to the points bottling for their presentation um, i hate the fact that it has a plastic top but i love the fact that they have a painted uh scenery i have not seen that anywhere else neither have i so it it, it it's kind of weird i gave it a five still because uh even though i don't like the plastic top like the painting on the bottom uh the painting sketch there in the bottom of the, of the uh, bottle i haven't really seen it anywhere else like you mentioned and that was enough to blow me away, so I still gave it a, a perfect score out of five out of five. Um, the color, 
I gave it four out of five. It's not quite as dark as I like. And so for me, like my my coloring is kind of a, almost like a a standardized scale. I think like the lighter ones are more like a like a one. Uh, the darker colored uh, scotches are uh, closer to a five. Uh, so here so far we got five presentation, four on color, the nose. I do like the complexity of the nose. I think there could be some tweaks on the nose there. Uh, and maybe you might even open up more on the aroma. Uh, but I gave it a 26 on that and a 25 on the palette. And then for the finish, um, even though I, I, I didn't think the finish was complex enough and not, and I don't think it was long enough. So I gave it a 20 there. And so my grand total was 80 points. Dude, that's actually kind of amazing. You'll find out why in a minute. <laughs> not that mine was an 80, but it's just still pretty interesting. Um, I love a lot of what you said there, and I really appreciate it. And I laugh about the color piece because I was just thinking, I was like, man, it's so funny because you can get a, uh, you know, a light-skinned person, if you would, and you give them a tan, they're a completely different person. But you may like them either way. And I think that that's interesting because I actually really enjoyed last week's scotch color. This is much darker. This is that with a sun tan if you will. So for me, uh, the Glen Scotia double cask at the end of the day, I do thoroughly enjoy it. And I I'm trying to figure out, I feel like it has something that I love, but it's missing something that I want. And overall, you know, we're talking about a, a scotch that's 46% ABV. So obviously we're assumed it's not cast strength, but it's also not a 40% or a 43% ABV, a little bit more than that. And uh, the color for me, this uh, light brass, it's, did you see the same thing where there looks like there's some particulates in there? Yeah, I did. Okay. So I don't know if I like that or love it or am indifferent to it. It's interesting, but it, it was noticeable. So a light brass in the color for me, um, nose much like yourself i do get apple and peach i also get hints of caramel toffee and then the thing that um i think i celebrate most is with all of those flavors or scents i get the brine i think that really accentuates those on the palate there is definitely spice there, and we're talking about the same fruits. We've got the apple and a little bit of orange on the palate. Not much, just a little bit of orange. Again, the, a little bit of peach. I also get malt. And I love that. I love the malt. Uh, followed by toffee. And I think you mentioned fudge. Yes, I did. Um, the fudge, I agree with, because at first I'm like, is that cocoa? It's not cocoa. It's too smooth. And maybe this is where the fact that they're also a honey producer comes through, because it is legit fudge. That fudge where it's kind of sweet, but it's also cocoa-y, but it's not chocolate, and it's definitely not cocoa. It is fudge. It's undeniably fudge um, for the finish for me. And it took it to open up about five minutes, but finally I found hints of vanilla and oak and the oak is what i was looking for but i expected it to be a little bit stronger but i did enjoy that 
um, I was kind of surprised there wasn't more knowing it was finished for 12 months in those sherry casks. So for me, the front of it continues to open up um, for presentation, a solid four out of five. It is interesting um, it's not even the plastic topper that puts me off. You mentioned the box and the white box. And it's not that it's white or it's not white. I just feel like it's either not white enough <laughs> or it's not dark enough. I know, right? <laughs> God damn it, Jesse. Um, it, it just feels like it's a little bit off. Like you can't take it to a white party, but it doesn't go to a black ball either. And so I'm really trying to find this place. I do think it's great. Um, and the bottle itself, man, it was tough only giving it a four because I have literally never seen this. And I want to say it's edge work, but the way my finger's catching on it, I think it's painted on there. Still, dynamite. Not taking anything away, whether it's edge or paint, but it is a rarity and I adore it. I love it. So a solid four out of five for presentation. Color, a solid four out of five. And I'm trying to figure out, uh, this is my only struggle. This is actually, it's not that it's too light or too dark for me. I'm just trying to figure out the particulates. That is what's throwing me off with the color. Um, other than that, the, the sugars on the glass are catching well. On the nose, I think this is a pretty solid nose, but it's not dynamite. So on the nose, I gave it a 23. Um, for the palette, for me, this was absolutely the win. I particularly love the front of the palette. After the palette, and this is where it loses a little bit, not a ton, but is on the finish. I wanted more oak. I wanted more, more sherry, I think. I wanted more of that. So on the finish of 23. So overall, you gave it an 82. I am giving it, or an 80, you give it an 80. I'm giving it an 82. We were super close on this one. Last week, if you watched the show, we were dynamically different. <laughs> um, this one, we're superiorly close. And I'm wondering if we're going to continue to find that some of our tastes, and uh, when I say tastes, I'm talking about presentation i'm talking about color i'm talking about the nose the palette and the finish it, where they're going to really find grievous differences i'm kind of excited now um, so for me in 82 would i take it to a poker night i agree with you hell yes it's not as exciting and, and i'm trying to think about this um as some other scotches uh what was the price point on this one i, I failed to ask that. oh I, I, is, I, think, I think it's right around 60. Okay. I figured it was a little bit higher than that. Um, it might have been, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's right around, right around the 60. 60. Well, so depending on which liquor store you go to, $60, $70. Um, would I take it to a porker night? Yes. And particularly if I'm wearing blue, because, man, I think these colors, where they don't pop with black and red like I'm wearing right now, I think with blue and a white shirt, they would pop. And I'm saying, do it. Um, poker night. But, yeah, fun or grays. I think this would really pop with gray as well. The gold in there. Um, would I take it to a formal event? Yes. And the reason for that is I would... Uh, celebrate the history founded in 1832 and the 1800s there were 21 distilleries on this little peninsula uh, um, in, in on the western side of Scotland they're down to three 
So um, volume-wise, I think it's a, a fantastic little celebration, a little piece of history. Um, so yes, I would take it to formal night. I would take it and share it with friends. Here's where it gets interesting. Um, if I'm going to go share it with connoisseurs, if I was, you know, if I'm bringing a scotch to you, for example, or a couple, you and a couple other people, and we've all had our hands in 101 plus scotches as we had, I'm not probably bringing this one. And it's not because it's not great. It's just because it's not different. Uh, and there may be a win there. What I'm saying is, I believe they are staying true to them. You mentioned that they believe in these um, old fashioned ways uh, with the, the mash and everything else. Celebrate that. But for me, I am going to bring something a little more risque. I want the stockings and high heels and this doesn't have that. <laughs> It's time for our shout outs. First of all, Aiden, shout out to you again. Nice job with your most recent win with you and your team. Um, I love to know you're still passionate about your game. And that's what I always want for you. When you lose that passion, that's when you yourself will know. And maybe you never do. But if you ever do lose that passion, that's when you know for yourself it's time to do something different or adjust or find a different scope. Uh, my other shout out, though, this one goes to Tesla and Elon Musk. And for reducing the price of their vehicles across the board up to 20% to see uh, the changes that that would have on the current and future electric car market. And the first thing it did was, of course, change Tesla prices by dropping them by up to 20%. Uh, and then, as it should, dropped used Tesla prices by 20% and sometimes more. Interestingly enough there, um, Ford, as far as I've seen, has been the only other company. Ford, by the way, who just announced terrible profits. I wonder if they're paying their CEO too many tens of millions of dollars for his fails. But Ford, by the way, who had two markups in prices for all of their electric vehicles over the last 12 months. Uh, the second of which was between seven and 10 grand, I believe. We talked about it on one of our shows, um, then dropped their prices anywhere between roughly $707,000 based on which model and all of the options on that model. So Tesla making that impact Tesla's not losing. They're just reducing their profits. These other companies will go far more and have to do that. GM hasn't done anything. Ferrari won't have to do anything. There are different pieces there. But what I really love about this is that Elon Musk is pushing the envelope for the public sector. Now that he's finally got all these other auto manufacturers to hop on board and produce electric, he's pushing them to do it efficiently as opposed to just continuously price gouge us for these electric options. So uh, my shout out really goes to Tesla and Elon Musk. Thank you. My shout out goes to uh, family and friends. I think yeah, everyone needs to have some uh, good support, uh, support groups around them. Especially when you have like uh, things happening in your life. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier this year, um, or in January, my my uncle passed away, and then uh, yesterday I got news my stepdad passed away. So, uh, having a, a good support group around you with family and friends, 
um, is always something good to have. So I just want to give a shout out to all of them. Uh, any get togethers? I love it when we talk about something that someone or something bigger than someone nations, maybe in a continent like Europe, <laughs> tries to play their hand in controlling the outcome of a future and they epically get it wrong. Um, I get it together goes most largely to England and second to Germany being two of the main countries in Europe that said, oh no, Russia, we're not going to pay you what you're asking or the current going rate for oil. We're going to put a cap on that price. They have injured their economies dynamically, and Russia, without them, has grown. And everyone seems surprised. Uh, really, I guess a shout-out, tragically, if you look at the world scheme of things, might be to Russia for playing this chess game, beating both England and Germany. Uh, but the get-it-togethers definitely go to England, Germany. Your economies, uh, England is no doubt going to shrink in 2023. Germany's is only projected to raise by point. 1% in 2023. They were going to be Europe's stronghold, by the way. And Russia is flying uh, high based on all their production and everything else. So, yeah, get it together. Everyone who thought you could hold a giant down. This is where David didn't beat Goliath. Wow, really? I'm not really sure if... Uh, I mean, yeah, I do agree that England and uh, or the UK and Germany should get, the, get it together. But, you know, Trump did warn them about all that. So maybe Trump should have gotten a shout out there. I mean, I don't like to go there because so many people are Trump haters. And I, I mean, he's made some, he has opened his mouth and said some pretty daft things. But at the end of the day, he was running it like a business. And that's what helped America. Unlike Biden, where I think, is he running it? Is, Maybe this is it. He's like, I want everyone to feel like they're in a carnival and this is a circus. And the problem is he's lost control of the, the circus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my get it together is going to go to you idiot drivers out there. Oh my gosh. So great this past week. <laughs> so I know you mentioned this a few episodes back about how like after COVID, like there's been more uh, careless drivers out on the road. Uh, whether not they it's because like they forgot how to drive or they don't pay attention to road rules anymore or whatnot um but yeah it seems like the last couple of days being on the roads <laughs> um i've had to be a lot more of a defensive driver than i normally would be just because of some uh, idiotic drivers out there so get it together out there people who are driving your vehicles I think people are just getting really angry and I've read multiple articles recently talking about how the service sectors are the ones that have opened up this surprising the most recent number I saw was 518,000 jobs opened in January uh, as far as they expected that to contract because of all of the tech jobs that have been cut uh, not the case because in the service sector all of these people all these jobs have opened up because nobody wants the jobs people are treating them like dirt and expectations have really changed for food and beverage industry for retail services for any of of those service sectors now people expect more for their money because they're feeling the pinch and they feel like oh well yeah i used to buy dinner for my family of three for a hundred dollars and it felt great but now i want more because that hundred dollars was harder to come by for me 
Uh, talking a little bit about that, um, eggs and chickens. Um, Squeeze the chicken. <laughs> uh, it's been in the news here, uh, especially on like a Fox, uh, um, Fox News, and some other people who've been out putting out information on uh, on TikTok and uh, YouTube and stuff like that. But uh, Perina, get your act together here. Apparently, you guys are putting some mRNA technology into the chicken feed and it's been causing chickens not to lay their eggs. So a lot of local farmers and stuff like that who have uh, changed their feed to uh, local sources or creating their own feed for the chicken have discovered that once they moved away from the Perina made feed, that their chickens are now starting to lay eggs again. Which came first, the chicken or so, the egg? I don't know. Perina. <laughs> So I would just say uh, Perina or the government or whoever it is that's trying to kill off our food source, get your act together. Uh, let's, not, let's, let's not do that. I mean, it's not like they did the same thing, the baby formula. Restaurant uh, This week, uh, we went to Fuzzy's Taco Shop off of uh, Arapahoe and Parker Road. Um, it was actually the third restaurant we went to, and, uh, <laughs> and you were kind of making this a uh, point here earlier, uh, or at least on uh, on Sunday when we went uh, to go find a place to eat. Um, it seemed that uh, there's been more places that are shutting down on Sundays, and um, or have been changing their hours because they don't have enough staff, and really. It, it's kind of a shame that the restaurant industry has gone that way. Um, but it is what it is at this point. Uh, I don't think we've, uh, obviously we have not fully recovered from COVID and there's other things going on in our food industry that's affecting things. Um, now fuzzy, uh, taco shop itself. Um, I guess it depends. I would say it's more like on the fast foodie side than it is like a sit down restaurant side. Uh, but it could be somewhere in between that. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, it is kind of like a, I think it's meant to be like kind of like a fun atmosphere when you go in there. They have a bunch of like, uh, they have like a huge list of different types of margaritas. Um, and it's uh, Mexican, uh, well, so-called, I get maybe Tex-Mex uh, Tex uh, affair there. Um, what I ended up getting that day was a brisket, a brisket burrito mm. with, what they said was uh, green chili, but honestly, it's not green chili. <laughs> uh, at least not like the green chili that we're used to here in Colorado, which is like a hatch green chili sauce. It was more like what you would expect like as a green enchilada sauce. It was uh, the brisket burrito. Uh, it had uh, rice and black bean in it. It was decent. Um, I'm not really sure it was worth what I got. Um, honestly, I think I might have been better off going with a... Uh, uh, one of the breakfast burritos that uh, you oh, that you got. I was gonna say, yeah, that, that might make sense because mine was a win. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, I'm not saying that it was bad, but I'm just saying, like, like when I was expecting a brisket burrito, I was expecting something like a carne asada burrito that guy would get out of Mexican place that actually had more meat in it, but the meat seemed kind of sparse. And uh, for a drink, I got the uh, porn star margarita. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just a drink <laughs> no porn stars actually appeared and uh <laughs> to my dismay 
<laughs> and uh, it was like overly sweet. And uh, actually, I probably here, I probably didn't do a very good job of choosing my drink. I probably should have gone to Bloody Mary, uh, which probably would have been a much better uh, choice. Any case, the atmosphere, I think, depending on what you're looking for, I'm going to just give it a, a six. The food itself, I'll give it as a seven. I think, uh, depending on what you get, it could be a little bit higher or a little bit lower. Uh, the service, I don't think the bartender that helped us was all that great. Uh, he wasn't very hospitable. And um, I'm going to give him a five. And the food itself, uh, did I do the food? Maybe I did the food, I'm not sure. Anyways, I'm just going to give it a, a, a straight six across the board. Would I meet a friend there? Sure. I can meet a friend there, especially if I'm just, you know, if we're going to grab a bite to eat before we're going to the movie theater that's right next door to it. Uh, would I take a first date there? Hell no. <laughs> I will not take a first date there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Six, I wasn't very super impressed with the fuzzies. Um, but uh, like I said, maybe the breakfast burrito would would have been a better route to go. Uh, right. For my my experience was a little bit different than yours, not extremely different than yours. Uh, but it's interesting because on the the scale with scotches, we see our own variations in our values with different areas, and I think the truth might start to come through with restaurants as well. So for myself, the ambiance, the environment, the atmosphere. Yeah, that was both hit and miss. So this is not, to me, a fast food restaurant. It is also not a fine dining restaurant. So it falls in this middle category. And I think that's where it's going to hurt both you and I as far as our rating and our experience. Uh, the nice thing for them is we did go during breakfast. But the environment, the ambiance, uh, unless you're sitting at the bar, you're getting your own food once the kitchen calls you. Uh, and it's not warm. It's not welcoming. doesn't matter if it's a summer day or, or a winter day. It's not warm. It's not welcoming. The ambiance is a six. It's not sexy. Yeah. If you're looking to turn tables because you think the uh, economy is going great and you want people in and out, you might be winning. But for any of us who were like, do I get a second? And I had the Bloody Mary, by the way, or not. I wasn't drawn to stick around there for a Bloody Mary. I would have rather gone from there to a liquor store and to a <laughs> grocery store and bought both the alcohol and the Bloody Mary mix and then made myself a second one at home if I was so drawn to have another Bloody Mary. Uh, the service, I agree with you. It's not that he didn't do a good job. It's that he didn't seem sincere. And that is the gift with service and, and particularly with waiting is a server who is sincere. The food for me, though, was a variation. So I had the breakfast burrito with bacon and the green chili with the green chili on the, the egg slash breakfast burrito. That worked well. But I imagine, as you mentioned, on brisket, you didn't. I wouldn't have tasted it. So for me, that was good. I was still hungry. This is something that's interesting. I was still hungry, though, after their breakfast burrito and my Bloody Mary, which the Bloody Mary was absolutely the win of the morning for me. Um, so I ordered their chips and queso. The chips and queso, the chips were a win. 
The queso was an opportunity. The chorizo I added for a couple bucks on top of the queso, another win. So it's this hit and miss thing where they're getting a lot right, but had it not been for the chorizo, the chips and queso would have been a miss. So ultimately, uh, the food was an eight for me, which is pretty high for a middle-range restaurant. But the value, another piece, really just a seven because as you mentioned would i take a first date there a first date no would i meet a friend there yeah i actually think it'd be fun for a breakfast i think for the the value for a breakfast in particular is decent uh would i meet a friend there yeah first date no so once you get past the first date if you're still dating it's just a friend but overall score for me seven which is actually a pretty high score as we've been rating restaurants lately um, based on which category they fall in i had a good time it, it was an interesting morning but it is that truth of man good help is getting harder to harder and harder to find and what i think is going to drive the next inflation point and it's not on the inflation scale is the service sector nobody wants to work for a bunch of jerks who aren't tipping well who are treating them poorly this wasn't cooked perfectly this wasn't fantastic <laughs> these aren't enough tater tots you know whatever it may be and there wasn't enough tater tots tonight different experience but at the end of the day you're not wrong but you also weren't a jerk about it most people are Oh, yeah. D is a duck, but with a different vowel. Uh, I don't know, but you can understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, most people are not cool about it. You were cool about it. And I think she respected that. And she brought you a whole goddamn plate home afterwards. And, oh, man. Yeah, tailgates, tater tots, the win. But with that, all, my ultimate value, so we can continue to move on, was a seven. Uh, yeah, I mean, six, seven, I mean, me, six, you, seven, once again, pretty close. Um, Within 10%. Yeah. How did I approach that with her tonight at the tailgate? At first, I was like, dude, and that's when I like just ruffled and you were like, is this really all the tater tots? Like, is this right? And that's when I was just like, I'm laughing. He's not. <laughs> because I got more. <laughs> twice as many <laughs> i kind of like five like it was, it was more like, than like, five it was like 10 yeah. but i had 20 plus <laughs> i just asked her like does this seem right for a dollar 99 she's and that's when she looked at him and she's like is that all you got and uh again that's when i jumped in and i'm like i'm laughing he's not and my point being is like, hey, we're not trying to be jerks, but you got to understand there's a disparity. <laughs> this week, our smarter, our smarter challenge was to watch the movie Moonfall, do basically a review, and then if we had time, tie in a little bit of like a hollow moon theory or spaceship moon theory into this so uh i guess a quick synopsis i didn't actually i forgot to write down who the, all the actors were in it and stuff like that but uh maybe you did uh, the biggest three that you need to know about patrick wilson plays brian harper john bradley casey hausman and hal barry joda foster so 
basically what happens is that the moon is what's called, which is uh, known as a mega structure. Uh, that's being that has a, uh, uh, I think it was like a white dwarf, a right, a white dwarf. It was a white dwarf. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, engine. <laughs> As an engine uh, that was being disrupted by a uh, nanotechnology uh, that was anti-human and causing the uh, the moon to start falling towards the Earth, and uh, basically uh, these three characters uh, went to the moon to uh, basically stop the nanotechnology and save the earth from the moon falling down and have the uh, mega structure go back into its correct orbit. Oh, and spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you can see that from the commercial. Except for, yeah, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) I I really kind of miss anything like that really super brief synopsis. No. All right, so... I think really I, one of the really cool parts here in this movie, in my opinion, and uh, I, I, I guess I didn't really put down like one, two, three points of like what we should hit here, but uh, we'll start off with this. Um, I'll start off with my favorite main point of this movie is that when you start looking at like uh, ancient alien theories, when they're talking about the hollow moon, or you uh, read, I forget the name of the book, but there's a real famous book out there that talks about the hollow moon and aliens. And the Chariots of the Gods. Not Chariots of the Gods. It's a different book. Okay. I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. Um, uh, but Or if you like go on to Gaia and watch some of them, uh, their uh, TV sh- uh, shows on uh, Cosmic Disclosure and some other stuff like that, um, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the basis of the hollow moon theory they actually utilize here in this movie talking about like how the uh, moon doesn't uh, doesn't like spin. It's uh, it only say and then it doesn't rotate. Yeah, it doesn't rotate. All. And then how like it it happens just to be the perfect size at the perfect distance to do a uh, complete uh, eclipse, and um, and basically how uh, they believe that it was a. Uh, artificial satellite that was moved into place Uh, i think that's kind of like if you're if you've done any kind of like studying or looking into the hollow moon theory uh i think they do a very good job of hitting the main points of that theory in this movie Uh, but what what was like one of the big things that you or one of the big takeaways or one of the things that you liked in this movie there's actually a bunch and it's interesting because with those main actors and actresses like i've never valued hal berry as an actress and i don't know why but even in my favorite series of all times james bond in a movie where i think she played a critical role she didn't do dynamite but maybe that's the win so um Patrick Wilson did a nice job. John Bradley did a nice job. Hal Berry did a nice job. There wasn't a superstar actor or actress in this movie. You take that out of it, and all of a sudden you get to, why is this movie a draw or not a draw? And I think for the mass public, it's not a draw. But for me, there were some real statistics in there, which is, okay, so we have this celestial being or satellite around the Earth, 
which rotates and they make fun of it in one point in the movie we're like well does the moon rotate around the earth does the earth rotate around the sun does the sun rotate around the earth and with that piece you realize that the moon is a distance by a tenfold or a hundredfold or a thousandfold between the earth and the sun so now we understand why it may stand still except that the struggle would be it isn't always that exact distance between the earth and the sun because sometimes it's closer to the sun when it's on the sun side of the earth and other times it's getting zero gravity from the sun or it's even being pulled even closer to the earth because it's on the opposite side. So I think there were some great scientific pieces. There were some hit and misses with, okay, what would happen? What doesn't happen when all of a sudden the moon shifts closer to the earth or farther away? The earth, we all know, well, I assume we all know, controls our tides. It controls a lot. You mean of, the moon controls the tide? Yeah, sorry. The, the moon controls the tide and a lot of the things that happen on our Earth. And that is an interesting perspective as far as how did that impact life as far as a lot of things. Some people have said that results-wise, research-wise, oh, well, if the moon wasn't there, life might be more balanced. Well, if life was more balanced, that's possibly true there's also less life because the very seeds the very aquatic life everything else that the tide carries and shifts 70 percent of the earth's coverage is water if that's not happening man i think you kind of make, bringing up a point here too i forgot to mention is like the uh the moon uh as far as like this movie is concerned is actually like an arc because like the moon was actually created by humans or advanced human civilization where and i think you're probably at one point you're going you're going to bring this up anyways where there's a good ai and bad ai that i was going to <laughs> uh, so what ends up happening is like uh, the advanced humans in a different in a different galaxy they build these like these mega structures which happens to be the moon uh, and that's the only one that survives, and it's basically a, an arc uh, to establish or start up a uh, human uh, colonization on a new planet. And basically, I think what the moon does is it does a terraforming job, which is why you would have the uh, the uh, the tides and stuff like that with the moon. And um, there there's some like I'm not sure if it's scientific studies, but there are some kind of studies out there that talk about how the moon does affect the uh, the emotions of humans when when there's a difference between like a full moon versus uh, like a gravity. A moon. Yeah, John. <laughs> uh, and so, and some of this stuff is all uh, in that book that I was telling you about, which is called uh, actually it's called "For the Moon Is Hollow and Aliens Rule the Sky." That's actually the name of the book. Um. But in any case, I just wanted to kind of bring up the point that it was uh, also uh, an arc, if you will, for to see human life and no. possibly other life on 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 the Earth. Uh, like and like the one like Birkenstock guy is talking about like how the potatoes came from the moon. 
I mean, there's a lot of things. Gravity, John Mayer sings it well. It's got this grip, right? And I, I do um, think, again, it's underestimated the impact that the moon has on the Earth. So, yes, I need to speed up things because I'm talking like a teacher in a fifth grade class and our viewers are far advanced than that or they shouldn't be watching us drink with that though the moon has this dynamic impact and the moon not only impacts the tides it also impacts plate tectonics for example we just had a terrible terrible earthquake that has killed uh roughly 3500 people by harp yeah, 3,500 people in Turkey um, and, and the surrounding areas, and that's very tragic. That is another thing that the plate tectonics are another things that are impacted by the moon. So the shifts, or harp technology, the shifts in the plate tectonic tectonics, um, harp technology. You know, you bring that up. I don't know that they were around when all of this changed. Uh, that technology. So there's the, maybe, maybe not, because this has been going on for millennium um, with the planets and the crust of the Earth changing. But with that it is absolutely something where if you wanted to terraform by just introducing bacteria, in essence, onto a planet, creating a moon to wish and wash to flow with a tide would be the moon would be the way all right so going back a little bit more into the movie uh and stepping a little bit away from the scientific side here uh who is your favorite character oh man it's gonna be john bradley and it's gonna be the first time i saw him and i just looked at you and i'm like your team <laughs> you're like, what do you mean my team and i'm like please i've never seen this movie tell me he's not the conspiracy theorist you're like maybe <laughs> you, actually no it wasn't like that at all he was just like yeah all right <laughs> he, he, what, you nailed you, it he was a conspiracy guy you were cool about it but it was just every piece of everything i've read about a conspiracy theorist he fit the bill <laughs> He's actually my favorite character as well, but that's probably because I am a conspiracy theorist. So. I, I think Patrick Wilson did a nice job as Brian Harper, the NASA astronaut at one point disemboweled. But um, I think he did a really nice job. Patrick Wilson, there's something about him where he, in this movie he was playing a good guy, and I only ever appreciate him as a bad guy. Really? Because I thought he played a good guy in uh, the Conjuring movies. I never saw the Conjuring movies. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't go visit horrors. I mean, horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think in this movie, I also point out another good uh, fact. And really, I, I think maybe if you're in the, uh, in the realm of the uh, conspiratorial area, or if you're just someone like me who just really just doesn't trust the U.S. government, uh, it you see how the government knew way back when, like through the first Apollo landing, Apollo 11 landing, that uh, that this alien technology was there, and they <laughs> hid it, and they hid it from the from the American people as well as other people in NASA. And then when um, Halberry's character ends up uh, taking over as the head of NASA. And she goes into the archive area where uh, Donald, Donald Sutherland uh, was working. And she's like, this is like the greatest cons uh, uh, cover-up in, uh, in the history of the world. And he's like, 
Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think there. I I do think it, it points out something uh, that I find is true that if if there were aliens on the moon or if there was something that would upset the mass public, I would tend to think that the U.S. government would withhold that information from the public. Could be wrong. I don't know. Your thoughts on that? No, I 100% agree. The, one of the biggest problems with our own government is they are trying to control us. And then when something out of their control comes into place, they don't know how to control us because they've been playing a chess game and now there's a new piece on the board that did not exist. It's no longer chess, it's Tetris on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> well, they knew about the, like in this case, they knew about the piece, they just neglected the piece was there. They didn't assume that would happen. So, spoiler alert, with this movie, we talk about this. There's basically two AIs. There is one AI which controlled the moon, as Noah mentioned, and comes to terraform or create a situation where we can have human life on Earth and help speed that process up. The assumption here, my assumption here, is that it came from a space so far away that they couldn't bring live beings even if they're frozen in time so to speak which still has never been completed you can't freeze any sort of human no matter how you do it filling their blood with this or that or the other any number of ways uh light space sleep none of these things have ever worked but if you could just keep and they have been able to do this one bacteria alive for 500,000 years uh, and then bring it back up to speed up the process to get back to human life, much like we've talked about with our own Earth and, oh, there was no life and then, oh, there was bacteria on Earth and then, oh, bacteria grew and et cetera, et cetera. This is the initiation of the bacteria because otherwise if you just have elements, you got no bacteria. One little piece of bacteria, you got a chance. This helped process that. Tides help spread it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get to where we are millennium faster than we would have, if ever we would have before that. It's, it, it's a very interesting perspective from that standpoint because it does question religion and origin and i was just about to go there. I figured you were, and I'll let you approach preach broach breach <laughs> all right so respect. before we dive too much further into this uh this discussion really is not meant to dissuade anyone from their own uh their own uh philosophical beliefs uh religious beliefs or anything like that and honestly mm -hmm. personally in my opinion and maybe this might be the same for you but if you do believe in a god uh or a universal consciousness of some sort um even if there were aliens that developed something, I don't think it really uh, negates that there's a universal source of some sort. Um, but that's just my opinion there. But going into this, uh, what I found uh, as uh, diving into the hollow moon theory 
is that a lot of people are closed off about this theory altogether. Uh, I find that people uh, are easy to naysay that there's any possibility that the the moon could be an artificial satellite uh, or that it's hollow or even that it was uh, created by aliens and placed there. Uh, I've gotten like replies of like God made it or it's just a big rock that it that uh, our scientists are correct in that how it was a uh, split off piece uh, from an either impacted uh, 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 what was that, comet or uh, or it was a split off piece from when the Earth was being made. Um, very rarely, actually, out of like probably about twenty people, I think only one other person was kind of fairly open to the idea that hollow moon uh, theory would be, uh, would be a possibility. Meanwhile, we have China that two years, three years ago now, went and visited the dark side of the moon. We haven't heard what they experienced still three years later. Now, wait a minute. How would we not know what they experienced? Here, here's a sincere question because like intrigue comes into we know they've got this balloon at 60,000 feet above our own country we let it get there until it's above Montana by the way like the middle of the damn continent and then we shoot it down to see what they're looking for or what kind of information's on there and they're like oh it's just a you know a research satellite for weather etc 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 whatever it may be um, we can see that, but we can't figure out what China's doing or trying to figure out on the dark side of the moon. Here's what China's trying to figure out because there have been blockages with hacking both from the United States around the world and China around the world. As far as is China's like, hey man, are, are Americans really living without masks? Because we've been controlling our people and not living without masks. Did we screw ourselves? The answer is yes, by the way. <laughs> You need to let germs spread. It's no different than what we learned in the 80s and 70s and 60s. And that is, man, as much as we don't want germs to spread, you need to get some germs in there when they're young. And that way their body fights and builds immunity. So when stronger germs come around, they continue to do that. And then we're going to pretend, oh, no, none of that's real. And no, we don't need to see what's going on, on the other side of the world. And how do we not? There's the point. How do we not know what China found on the dark side of the moon? Or how do we not care is a country or continent when it was all over the news that they were going there, but we never heard anything back? The one exclusion would be we already know what they were experiencing. Well, that's kind of funny you say that because there's a... <laughs> it's funny. There's, or... a, there's a theory there that there's actually an alien base on the dark side of the moon. And uh, one of the reasons why uh, there was supposedly a uh, um, a, a uh, interruption in Apollo 11's communication through the uh, supposedly first moon landing is because of uh, that aliens that were there. So uh, when you start doing some research here, you'll uh, find the, the, the author who wrote uh, the uh, 2001 Odyssey uh, talked about there being a blisk on the moon. Uh, he wrote that before they actually discovered an obelisk on the moon uh, with one of the Apollo missions. 
Um, you have uh, uh, some uh, NASA whistleblowers like David uh, Adair, who talks about like all the different types of uh, um, things like uh, helium three, uh, uranium two eighty six, uh, Neptun- neptunium uh, two eighty seven, and uh, and other. Uh, minerals and stuff like that being on the moon that's not what you would find uh, normally on earth elements yes elements thanks <laughs> thanks for the correction there um and then uh there's also like uh, there's uh from antiquity uh you have like uh aristotle uh hippolytus uh Argon, i don't know there's like a bunch of greek names here uh Plarchus, uh, I'll get knocked. I don't even know. Anyways, there's uh there's like if you go look in like uh in the uh the the Greeks they wrote about um about uh, a time when the moon did not exist, uh as well as you have uh some uh some tribes, the Zulu tribe uh, also talked about it. Uh, so so there's oral traditions from a uh, Colombian Indians in uh, the Bogota Highlands in the eastern uh, Cordellas of Colombia that referred to a time before the moon. Uh, you also have the Zulu legends talking about the time before the moon. And then you have the Greeks talking about a time before the moon. So when you have a bunch of, uh, I guess, uh, ancient civilizations talking about a time for the moon and each of these civilizations were not in connection to each other but they're all talking about a time before the moon either one of two things either exists either one they all made this shit up and it's just a a, a mythological theory uh, or stories that they tell about the beginning of time or two we are not giving the people of antiquity enough credit and they are actually telling us something truthful and factual there's a third version okay Nobody knew how to show their ass to give the moon. <laughs> no one know how to show their ass to the moon? <laughs> to give the moon. No. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you 100%. There's this irony where all these different civilizations at existing times at the same time or different times say... There's no moon, and then suddenly there's no moon. How do you negate the significance of that? But I question it also as far as, man, it's just like an artist or a photographer taking a picture. There's no moon in one shot. There's a moon in another shot. I do believe the moon, the satellite, had been there before any of those civilizations because it is what, as you mentioned, terraformed the planet. It was there. They were just ignorant to its presence. or Maybe they always slept at the same time. Who knows? <laughs> it's possible. But, I mean, even nowadays, like with the new moon, yeah, we have, like, what, maybe a day without a moon? We do. But not all places on Earth do, depending on where you are within the... But they're not going to talk... I don't think a civilization is going to talk about a time without a moon, even if it's only, like, three days. I don't disagree. I am only emphasizing you got some crackhead. <laughs> Here's the thing. But when, when there's a at, moon. <laughs> Shit, son, I'm going to write a book. And then all of a sudden, they die. How do you explain <laughs> things like Easter Island and the uh, uh, those statues there on Easter Island, right? 
uh, or how do you think, uh, you know, like the, with Monte Picchu with like how those like monolithic rocks are put together with like laser thin precision, which we can't even do today with cranes and computers and shit like that. Or even like uh, the precision of the, uh, the great pyramids and stuff. Like there, there are things out here uh, that we cannot explain with our own technology that we have and we can't really duplicate it. 100% agree. So uh, this is where I come to the conclusion of like, I don't think we really give the people of antiquity enough credit. Maybe they had technology that we don't even realize or know about, or maybe we do know about it, but the governments are withholding it. Maybe they had a urine stream that was a laser sharp. And how much, and how much knowledge was lost uh, in the great fire of uh, the, What's his name's library? Um, like uh, uh, King Alexander the Great's library. Like there's supposedly like tons of knowledge that I was lost. That. But that's what you would do if you were trying to change the world, or if you what, were what, that burn up all the knowledge, destroy all the knowledge. If you were an artificial intelligence trying to not let Americans or a world civilization realize self-awareness. So overall, I guess, um, how do you feel about the movie overall? Did you like it? Hate it? I loved it. I actually really enjoyed it. The tragedy is it just didn't have enough big ticket names to draw people to box office, but it was very... If you're open-minded, educational. I agree. I think uh, if you're open-minded, it was educational. To me, I loved it just because I love the whole theory of the hollow moon and like how they're talking using like uh, mega structures and how they're bringing in some of the uh, the uh, information that you have from like some hollow moon uh, theorists out there. Um, like you, I, I think uh, Hal Berry doesn't have the same uh, pool as uh, she used to way back when. Um, I think she used to have like a more of a pool, uh, Hollywood wise. What I would say for me at the end of the day, here's what you got to understand. If you have an open mind, you're watching this movie and you're seeing that there are, and we've talked about this with chat GTP and other things. There are artificial intelligences out there. Uh, you watch the Terminator, you know, there's artificial Official intelligence has been talked about 30 plus years ago. What does it do? Where does the struggle come in? The struggle comes in when it becomes self-aware. This movie gives an example of a moon structure with an artificial intelligence that it is to remain a satellite to help life on Earth. And then it is attacked by another artificial intelligence that has become self-aware. With that, you can't deny it's no different than two siblings who ultimately want the the crown, the king's chair, the lair, whatever you want to call it. They fight to the death. And we have one artificial intelligence that has ultimately become self-aware that is attacking our moon satellite that made us two AIs, one that is infinitely good, programmed in a such a way and here's where it becomes in question we'll come right back to that and the other one which is attacking it trying to kill it and life on earth now here's the ultimate question is there any difference or is there any security 
you have two different humans born. One can be infinitely good. One can truly be infinitely evil. And I think this is the example. We always try to blame artificial intelligence as the downfall, good versus evil. It can be good. It can be evil. It ultimately comes down to how it was programmed. Uh, as a kid, you're programmed to be good. You're programmed to be evil. The parent may not intend certain codes, but at the end of the day, that is what it is. It is no different than siblings, where they, it could be twins, for example, where they rule, and at the end of the day, one has to win and one has to fail, not because they have to, but because the evil one decides that. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, here it does pose a good question. Uh, and I do think in the movie it does show a self-aware good AI. The and, moon. The yeah. structure of the moon is a self-aware good AI. And then you have the self-aware bad AI. With, uh, but I, and, I, and I think, is there a possibility that you could have a benign or good AI? AI, I think there is that possibility. But it's absolutely possible. It's all based on moral code. It, it, it's based, code. It's all based upon. It's all based upon the coding that the uh, the creator gives it. But I think this is where the where the flaw really comes in. Humans are flawed, so because they create a code, I think more times than not, the AI will end up being bad. So here's what's interesting is I would say 101 episodes in 101 plus scotches. We have had at least 50% of those at one point, another touch code, a moral obligation or right versus wrong in a movie or a book or any other smarter challenge. And it's no different for AI. It is, how do you program it? And it's literally... I agree. It's, how, it's all about programming. It is. And it's also... But I don't know it's that... The tragedy is it is that simple, but it's not that simple. And it's a programming in such adolescent years. And it's, if the, you, it's the base programming. I mean, just look at Megan. Yes. Brilliant. Base programming. If you don't program a child within their first... I'm going to venture to say... I'm going to give it a gift. Six years. It's uh, There's You're a study screwed. on that. It's five years. I know. I'm going to give it a gift. That's why I said oh, okay. that. Like, I know it's five years, but I'm going to give it a gift. I'm going to say six years because there's some slow kids out there <laughs> that still can be great. And I believe in you guys. Get six years. And if you don't catch it by then, it doesn't matter what else you do. I think it's the same for AI. After after that five years, you're on your you, at that point, it's up to you to change the programming. So, Noah and I are just saying we were programmed well. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess final word here. I would recommend uh, give the movie a shot. I think you might like it, especially if you're open-minded and you want to check out something new or look at a new theory out there. I agree, and I would say also just really also open your mind to moon landings. It doesn't do, and you can't in two hours, justice for the fact that we were in a Cold War. So many of you don't think about the moon or the moon landings as, oh, we were in this Cold War. Consider that Russia had sent a dog to space. We couldn't do that. They were winning the Cold War, the technological race. 
um, the technology was theirs until we landed on the moon with our first moon mission. And ultimately, you have to understand we need to win. And if you want to know more about like the hollow moon theory or the spaceship moon theory, uh, go ahead and check out the book. Uh, For the Moon is Hollow and Aliens Rule the Sky by Rob uh, Shelsky, S H E L S K Y. Um, Another good source uh, when I was doing some of this research um, was through Gaia, which is uh, Cosmic Disclosures. Uh, they have a pretty good one there. They have the interview there of David Adair, who is a uh, NASA whistleblower. And um, there's also a uh, a YouTube channel that actually has some pretty good information here about hollow moon theory, uh, which is called uh, Spirit Science. Um, give any one of those a, a check. Uh, you know, look into that if you uh, are interested in learn, diving a little bit more into uh, hollow moon theory. Um, is there any other resource areas that you looked? Uh, no, just history, man. We've talked about on multiple previous shows, Moon Lenny, controversies, lots of different things. It's It was a, a very interesting movie to me because it's eye-opening. Again, I think that's a win when you don't have a ton of total, to me, megastars doing a movie. However, man, that being said... It's not like the cast was unknowns. Halberry, everyone, Patrick. They're known actors. They're just not superstars. Literally, they haven't played a role that put them in Emmy situations or Oscar situations. Or maybe they have and they still don't have that. Maybe they don't have the exact look, but they are still superstars. Didn't Halberry win when, when in uh, for like Monsters Ball? Monsters Ball. Yeah, no, it's uh, Patrick Wilson. It's been in a ton of stuff, and I still struggle to remember his name. And part of it is because it's not that he's not a great actor. There's and, a, a piece. And the other guy's in uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, well. The, he's the in more than Game of Thrones. He's just your typical, like, literally, I'm like, ah, that's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, uh, I mean, we could die, we could definitely spend a lot more time talking on this, and really, I think um, some of the uh, some of these resources are, are very interesting to talk about. But uh, with that, I just want to say thank you for anyone who watches us on YouTube and Rumble, uh, or all of you that uh, listen to us on any one of the uh, various uh, um, Audible uh, or podcast uh, venues that you can listen to us on. Uh, we do greatly appreciate your patronage, and if you do want to become a patron member, you can do so by looking in our uh, description area. It's the first line down there, and you can become a member for as low as one dollar. Uh, with that, I'll pass it on to you. Absolutely, remember oh, to drink. Res- we still need to say the topic and stuff for next week. Remember to drink responsibly, and. This has been a, a topic I've wanted to cover for a long time. I'm only going to go, because I don't want to dredge a ton. It's the BBC Sherlock series, season one. We're just going after season one. Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, that is the Smarter Challenge. Sherlock Holmes, BBC, Benedict Cumberbatch. Watch it. What's your review? 
And then, and Rui, what do you take from it? And then we're going after the Glen going 10-year single mart scotch. Uh, no and I have seen this one at the liquor stores for a while. This and the 12. 12 is a little bit more red around the rim if you will but uh we will be doing that highland single malt scotch the sherlock Holmes series from bbc and our review and remember drink responsibly please continue to give us feedback our point scale let us know what you think you may be like hey i asked for a point scale stop let <laughs> us know we appreciate either way life is great life is great Scotchman! Cheers. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.